0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. It's Tuesday, August 11th, and here's a tip for anyone who's heading back to the office for the first time since March. Remember to smell the milk in the kitchen before pouring it in your coffee, because after five months, it might be spoiled. And then again, it might also cure corona, so maybe just go for it. Anyway, on tonight's episode, Kanye West is out of time, Roy Wood Jr. makes a citizen's arrest, and Donald Trump wants to make sure you never get a birthday card from Meemaw ever again. So let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
1: From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this
0: is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick it off with the big news of the day, the vice presidency. It's America's assistant manager. And today, Joe Biden announced who he's picked to be his VP. We're coming on the air with
2: breaking news. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden has made his choice. NBC News has confirmed that Biden has picked California Senator Kamala Harris to be his running mate, the first woman of color in history to be chosen for such a position. So the Democratic ticket is Biden-Harris.
0: That's right, people. Joe Biden has officially picked Kamala Harris to be his running mate. Say what you want about Joe, but the man went black and he's not going back. And I gotta say, I'm impressed that Biden picked Kamala even after she destroyed him at that debate. In fact, part of me thinks he only picked her so that she can just never dust his ass in public again. This isn't a VP pick, it's an insurance policy. And I'm really interested to see what the Trump campaign's line of attack is gonna be on Kamala, because they're gonna have a tough time. Everything she's done in her career appeals to Trump's base. Crafty Kamala spent her whole career locking up criminals and filling up California's jails. She's even friends with cops. Hold on, that actually sounds pretty cool. Mike, is it too late to change you? But jokes aside, congratulations to Kamala Harris. She is now the first black woman on a major party ticket, which is a great moment for her and for America. Moving on from our next possible vice president to the next possible president of the United States, Kanye West. Since announcing his candidacy, the hip hop superstar and broke looking billionaire has been scrambling to get on the ballot in as many states as possible. And unfortunately for him, it's not going smoothly.
1: West's legal team is fighting to be included in the November presidential election. Well, here's the problem, though. The Wisconsin election campaign alleges the nomination paperwork was filed 14 seconds late. West's response was that 15 seconds after 5 on the deadline night is not later than 5. They argue
0: the deadline includes any time before 5.01. Surprise, surprise. The guy who made late registration couldn't get his paperwork in on time. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Although, if I'm being perfectly honest, this is a tough philosophical question. I mean, think about it. If there's a five o'clock deadline to hand in your signatures, are you late if you hand them in at five o'clock and 14 seconds? Like, is it five o'clock until 5.01? Or is it 5.01 immediately when five o'clock hits and you only call it 5.01 when the one is complete? I mean, this is the kind of question I don't know the answer to. What I do know is there's one person I don't want to debate the meaning of time with, and that's Kanye West. Time was invented by the devil to destroy God, but it's also a part of God, huh? And this decision by Wisconsin is the kind of thing that when it happens to someone else, you're like, hey man, rules are rules. They said before five, you didn't do before five. But when it happens to you, you're like, this is bullshit. What is this, communist China? But I don't know, man, Kanye West, with this little lawsuit, he might've just won my vote because I want a government that believes that deadlines are ish, you know? Tax day, April 15th-ish. Yeah, you get them to us when you get them to us. Expired license, eh, was good a month ago. Go on, get out of here. Moving on to COVID-19, the virus that's turned shaking hands into an extreme sport. The good news is the first vaccine has been approved for use in the general population, yeah. The bad news is it was approved by Vladimir Putin.
3: Breaking overnight, a surprising claim from Russian President Vladimir Putin that a vaccine has been developed in his country and is already being given to people, including his own daughter.
1: In the global race for a coronavirus vaccine,
0: Russia said today it's already won, even though it hasn't completed phase three trials. That's not slowing Russia down, which today registered and approved for use its vaccine while continuing to conduct human trials. Scientists, including from the WHO, are urging caution, saying only extensive and prolonged testing can determine if a vaccine is effective and safe. Uh, Okay, this is uh, pretty shady to say the least. Because you see, vaccines are like ordering food. You want it quickly, but not too quickly. I mean, yes, I'm hungry, but if my delivery comes in under 10 minutes, was that my delivery? Or something that was supposed to go out yesterday? Also, let's be honest, has anything good ever come from a Russian injection? I mean, the best case scenario is you win an Olympic medal that gets taken back two years later. And I know Putin wants people to trust him by saying he gave the vaccine to his daughter, but is no one suspicious that he didn't give the vaccine to himself? Because we don't know his relationship with his daughter. Like, if Trump gave the vaccine to his daughter, we'd know it's real. But if he gave it to Eric, then we all know what's up. So look, The truth is that a a safely tested vaccine is still probably months away. But in the meantime, here's something that might just hold you over, candy.
4: With trick-or-treating in doubt because of the pandemic, candy manufacturers are protecting themselves from potential losses for their biggest season. Hershey has partnered with retailers to set up Halloween merchandise earlier in the summer, in some cases four weeks earlier. In addition to the longer season, Hershey's is focusing more on family-sized packs and fewer treats in Halloween-specific packaging.
0: This is classic America. The candy companies are like, okay, because of Corona, we've got to be prepared. Let's plan this thing out early and let's make sure everybody gets access to candy. Whereas the election people are like, I don't know, I'm feeling lucky. Let's see what happens on the day. And as for Halloween, I thought this whole year was Halloween. Every day I've been wearing a mask and going through an entire bag of fun-sized Twix. What are we supposed to do in October? But I will say, I really do feel bad for candy makers, especially Oompa Loompas. Because let's be honest, If sales are down, they're gonna be the first ones let go. And finding a job right now as an Oompa Loompa? Well, that's not easy to doompididoo. Do you think he was those things? Nah. Meanwhile, Halloween isn't the only autumn tradition in Jeopardy. You see, college football season is right around the corner, and the battle over whether to play is getting more brutal than, well, college football
3: sacked. The leaders of college football holding emergency talks on whether to cancel the season. The Big Ten Conference announcing late today it will postpone all fall sports, joining the Mountain West and Mid-American conferences.
1: Vice President Mike Pence saying in part, America needs college football. It's important for student-athlete schools and our nation. President Trump took to social
3: media saying student athletes have been working too hard for their season to be canceled.
1: These football players are very young, strong people, and Uh, Physically, I mean, they're physically in extraordinary shape. So they're not going to have a problem. You're not going to see people, you know, could there be, could it happen? But I doubt it. You're not going to see people dying. They get better very quickly if they get it at all. So I I think, I think football's making a tragic mistake.
0: Donald Trump truly has the strangest priorities of all time. 160,000 Americans are dead. It is what it is college football might get postponed for a year. What a tragedy. If those kids don't get to bang each other's heads, you might never see another Donald Trump. But I will tell you this, if college football is being canceled, then you know coronavirus is serious. Because I've traveled through this country and people in America will do anything for college football. If you told Tennessee fans that their football stadium was gonna be moved to the surface of the sun, they'd be like, well, then I'll find a seat on the shady side because this year's gonna be the Vols year. But you know what, guys, instead of forcing college football, maybe now is the time for other college sports to have their moments. You know, like how about fencing? It's perfect for corona. You wear a mask and the whole point is to keep someone away. Seems like it's time to shine. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll tell you why the president is slowing down your mail. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. With a presidential election right around the corner, the big question is no longer, will Donald Trump try to cheat? It's now become, how will Donald Trump try to cheat? And with more Americans than ever expected to vote by mail due to coronavirus, it looks like he's zeroing in on his plan. President Trump is stepping up his effort to discredit mail-in voting as vulnerable to fraud, ramping up attacks on
3: Twitter and on television.
1: I think mail-in voting is going to rig the election, I really do. They want to steal an election, that's all this is all about. They want to steal
3: the election. There is no way you can go through a mail-in vote without massive cheating. Democrats are pushing to expand mail-in
0: voting and change existing voting laws to make it easier for people to cast ballots at home because of the coronavirus. The president wants his uh, political allies to fight back against that, and they have now pledged $20 million for that effort. For real? Only Donald Trump is weird enough to have beef with the mail. Every day he's less and less like a president and more like a neighbor in a sitcom. God damn you, mailman! <laughs> I mean, this guy is spending $20 million to sue mail-in voting. Normally when Trump spends that much money suing you, it's because you've seen him naked. I know what you saw last summer. You can't tell anybody. You can't tell them about this thing that I got. So even though the president and almost everyone in his administration votes by mail, clearly he thinks that letting everybody else do it would be bad for his reelection. And because lawsuits alone won't stop mail-in voting, the other part of Trump's plan is to just stop the mail.
3: Tonight, a backlog of undelivered mail is piling up in post offices around the country. Workers are blaming the new postmaster general, a top Republican campaign
1: donor who has given more than $1.1 million to the Trump victory
0: fund. Louis DeJoy forced cost-cutting measures leading to undelivered mail piling up at post offices across the country. And CBS News confirmed this internal postal service directive that outlines an operational pivot, saying extra trips to deliver mail are no longer offered Authorized, and that we may see mail left behind or mail on the workroom floor or docks, which is not typical.
1: The service insists it's not intending to slow down any delivery or risk any election mail. But the stakes are high for the USPS to follow through on its promise of on-time delivery. 32 states currently will not count ballots that arrive after election day, even if postmarked
0: earlier. Wow. Even if you mail your ballot in on time, 32 states won't count them if the post office gets them in late. And that doesn't sound like an election. That sounds like what happened to me in high school. Yeah, I gave my friend a love letter to pass to my crush, but then he decided to skip third period instead. So she never got my letter. So she went to prom with another guy and then they ended up getting married and having a kid. So that should have been my kid. And that's what I told the cops. But they made me give the kid back anyways. And that's why you gotta defund the police. So look, if Trump and his cronies are trying to sabotage the post office, there's only one solution. And I hate to say it, folks, but we have to let Bed, Bath & Beyond run mail-in voting. Because no matter how much I try to stop them, I keep getting those coupons in the mail. It's ridiculous. I don't need all of this. I don't need all of this mail. I don't need to know that there's off shower curtains. Oh, shit. It was expired. Anyway, so Trump has been on a crusade against mail-in ballots. And then he installed a close political ally who just happened to start slowing down the mail, which means that come November, a lot of votes that are supposed to make it by election day might not. It also means that in the meantime, all the other mail is getting delayed, and it's having a huge effect on people's lives.
1: In some parts of the country, customers are waiting weeks for their mail. These neighbors in Chicago's Dunning neighborhood want consistent U.S. Postal Service mail delivery. Susan Carter says when mail is delivered, it comes late and sometimes it's not theirs. I just
3: think the system fell apart and I don't think they care about us. All that stuff that's important to you that nobody else should be able to get, maybe going to somebody else's house.
4: In Baltimore, people waited two hours in hopes of getting their mail that never showed up. Many aren't getting bills and paychecks on time, putting a strain on their homes and businesses.
3: Survived the COVID, survived everything. The only thing I didn't survive was the mail. As a veteran myself, I get medication through the mail. I rely on that. And not to have it when I need it, that's a travesty to a veteran.
0: Yeah, you see... A lot of people think that mail is just a waste of paper, credit cards that they're not gonna sign up for, and ads for shit that they're not gonna buy. But for many, many people, that's how they get their medicine. It's how they communicate with family members in prison. And for many areas of the country, especially rural areas, the post office is the only way they can receive mail. So the mail might mean nothing to you, but it means everything to some people. Think of it like a Wilson volleyball. It might not mean anything to you, but when Tom Hanks got trapped on that island, it was his everything. Do you think he was f-ing that volleyball? Nah. So look, it's becoming clear as day that unless Trump changes his mind on the post office, just like every other Trump business, it could be doomed. Okay, when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. conducts a citizen's arrest. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. It has now been almost six months since Ahmad Aubrey was murdered while jogging in his own neighborhood, and in a summer where police brutality has been put front and center, Aubrey's murder was particularly troubling because the men who killed him weren't police officers, but used a 150-year-old law to justify their crime. Roy Wood Jr. has more in his new segment. How is this still a law?
4: In the criminal justice system, there are laws, and then there are laws that are dumb and make no sense. These are their stories.
3: We're now learning more about why Glynn County Police never arrested either of the
4: two men involved in the shooting death of 25-year-old Ahmaud Arbery. Now, District Attorney Barnhill states in this letter that both men are protected under Georgia's Citizens' Arrest Law. Citizens' Arrest? Thought that was just some bullshit people said on TV. But in real life, a citizen's arrest ain't no Barney Fife shit. you
3: are an individual that's 20-some-odd years of age and individuals are running after you, blocking you in with cars, that's called hunting. That's the wild, wild west that we talked about.
4: This is Georgia State Representative Carl Gilliard, someone who is just as outraged about this as I am.
3: The citizen's arrest law gives individual citizens the right to
4: arrest someone up to 48 hours until law enforcement would arrive. So not only can you citizens arrest somebody, you can just keep them for two days, like misery.
1: Hey, please!
4: People are using laws as a
3: justification for murder, as a justification for lynching. You, you have a higher form of racism. They're not wearing hoods anymore, they're wearing shirts and ties. Yeah, it sounds like a player-hater law. I think you're correct. How is this still a law? Well. No one's challenged it. This law was conceived in 1863. You know, it's, it's just, it's outdated.
4: Hmm, what possibly could have been happening in Georgia in 1863? I ask, knowing I won't like the answer. This
1: particular law was written during the Civil War. It was a way of preventing enslaved Africans who were trying to escape to the Union lines. It empowered any white person to arrest any black person.
4: So on a scale of Betty White to David Duke, how racist is this citizen's arrest law? You tell me when to stop.
1: You can pass David Duke and that's how racist it is. One of the big things about Georgia is the man in charge of writing the formal laws, Thomas Cobb is an avid racist. Wait, avid racist? You wrote books justifying racism, basically arguing that African Americans were better off enslaved and could never really function
4: as free people. Oh shit, that is avid. Okay, continue. Cobb himself,
1: he dies in 1862, but the system of law he had established for Georgia lives on, and that becomes the the basis to protection for racists like the Ku Klux Klan after the Civil War, because they could lynch any African-American and claim it was a citizen's
4: arrest. How is this still a law? We
1: still have a racist society. We haven't gotten rid of so many elements of racism in the United States.
4: Well, that settles it. I've talked to the experts, I've studied the finest legal texts, and I can confirm, This law must be changed. But I have no idea how to do that. Yo, how is this still a law? All these injustices are happening and nobody's doing anything to stop it. I am. Wait, you are? That's why I authored House Bill 1203. You're proposing a law that gets rid of the law that's a terrible law. There are some people that are trying to move forward. Mm, Cool. As it turns out, one of the things filling up Carl's cat calendar is a bill to repeal the current citizen's arrest law. And he's getting ready to drop it like it's... Don't say it, Carl. We are getting ready to drop it, you know, like it's hot. Ta,
3: he said it. It's a movement now. The, The old Jim Crow has had a bowel movement, and we're in a whole new
4: movement now. So repealing the citizen's arrest law is a laxative against the Jim Crow constipation that's been holding up the progress of the black man. And what we need to do with that laxative is add a Stand Your Ground laxative. And then we need to take a No chokehold laxative. And then we need to take a Voting Registration Suppression laxative and get all of that moved out and into the toilet of justice, my brother. Only time will tell if citizen's arrest gets flushed into the sewage system of history. But we're definitely a step closer to getting rid of this law for the entire country you no know, this is for georgia oh shit! how many states have a citizen's arrest law uh
3: all of them with the exception of maybe two oh, my God. so we got work to do oh, we got work
4: to do skip skip oh how is this still a law
0: Thank you so much, Roy. When we come back, I'll be talking to a star of the hit show, This Is Us, Sterling K. Brown. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with award-winning actor, Sterling K. Brown. We talked about a new initiative he's working on called One Million Truths, which is a platform to capture and convey the scale of racism in American life. Check it out. Sterling K. Brown, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Honored to be here. Oh, uh, You say it's an honor, but I've been trying to get you on the show for years, and you haven't found the time or the means to make it to the show, and then now, now when I can't be in the same space as you, now you come on the show. Because you know I wanted to take a selfie with you so I could show all my people back home that I know you, and now I've got to be like, oh, yeah, I sort of know him.
2: But well, we did that selfie. We did that selfie at a pre-Emmy event one time, and you told us. Yes. You hold the camera as if you're taking this up of yourself, and then it can hit <laughs> rotation. Yeah. And it, 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 it got picked up.
0: You're a very busy man, not just uh, working, but also being nominated for the work that you do. So let me start by congratulating you. Congratulations on two Emmy nominations Thank you. one for This Is Us, one for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. If I am correct in this stat, I believe that you are the first actor to be nominated in both of those major categories in the same year drama and comedy. That's uh, range. That's what uh, that is. So
2: maybe Ed Asner, uh, before me, was nominated for the Mary Tyler Moore Show and for Roots, but at the time, Roots was considered just a drama and not a limited series. So right. second, and I'm good with that. I,
0: I know you you are the father of two young kids and you've been in the house during coronavirus did they give you any recognition for your nominations or were they just looking for like, w- what is daddy going to do today, cook today, make today, teach us today? Well, like, do they even care?
2: My youngest has no clue. Has no, it's not important to him at all whatsoever. He's almost five. My oldest knows exactly what's going on. And so I told him that I got nominated. He's like, you got nominated again? It's like, good for you, that's awesome. <laughs> he's like, how many, how many do you have now? he's like, oh yeah, I'm sterling. And then he'll mock me openly to my face. Yeah, I'm Sterling Brown. I got Emmys, I have Golden Globes, and I have NAACP awards, I'm so cool. Whatever, bro. And then he goes and beats my ass and mad. That's how he reckons with me.
0: I feel like you are missing out on an opportunity as, as a father if you don't wait for him to graduate a grade and then he comes and tells you, he's like, dad, I passed, I got an A. And then you go like, oh, look at me, I got an A. <laughs> I can't wait,
2: turn about a fair <laughs> play, turn about a fair play.
0: Um, you're one of the people who gets welcomed into millions and millions of people's households, you know, every single week. People know you and they love you. And so anything you do will get a spotlight, you know, shone upon it. Everyone's gonna shine that spotlight where they go, Sterling K. Brown is doing something. You're part of a project right now called One Million Truths, which is a really, really inter- interesting project. And I wanted you to share it with the audience. W- what is One Million Truths all about? I
2: appreciate it, man. It's, it's basically a platform, uh, an initiative for black folks in America to share their experiences with racism. And I think it's a centralized way for black folks to see other people's stories and for allies who are interested to see that the experiences that their friends have told them about are not a one-off, that it's not just something that happened like in an isolated sort of incident, that these isolated incidents are happening over and over again all over the country. And maybe by having one place where people can go and see like, oh, life for black people in this country is not the same as it is for me. Right, and then there's a, a development of empathy, and hopefully a wave of support that we can ride right now to make some real change to systemic racism in this country.
0: One thing I, I, I've always enjoyed about the show This Is Us is it, it's it's an interesting look at how much people can love each other and know each other, but still not know fully about each other. You know, and 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 you you play a character where you're part of a family. Where even though you share so many things, there's still something that separates you, and that is the color of your skin. And and I wonder if like is there is there certain storytelling that you t- try and get across in the show that 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 helps people empathize with somebody who has a different skin color without making them feel like they're being blamed, you know, as opposed to the system being 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 highlighted.
2: I would I would hope so. I think Randall Pearson, just like his brother and sister and mother and father, is a human being first and foremost, right? And I think so much of the power of media is that people learn through exposure, whether it's through travel, whether it's through books, whether it's through the representation that they see on screen. And our show, the demographic of our show is vast, but it's about 80 percent white. Right. And so there's opportunities that I have to make conversations with people who may not have those conversations with someone that looks like me. And by virtue of them seeing me in their home 18 times a week, they can say like this dude, Randall, he's just like me. He loves his kids, he loves his wife. Like I understand part of his struggle even if I don't understand the totality of it. So hopefully the next time they see me or anybody who looks like me, they can lean in rather than step
0: like away. I'd love to know about your personal story a little bit because I, I, I learned that you discovered that I think your, your fifth great paternal grandparents were from Africa. Great. Yeah, right? yeah, it's always interesting when people discover like where their family came from, especially when you live in America and the records aren't there for you to easily peruse. Right. Does that change anything in your world and in your mind when you start to track how and where your family came to the, Uni- to the United States? Does it change a little bit of the story you tell yourself of you or or your family or even the country you're in?
2: There is this really sort of profound experience that you have as a young black man in a predominantly white institution of learning. I went to St. Louis Country Day in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'll be one raisin or one of a few raisins in the sun. (laughs) Fast white experience. And every time February comes around and you're talking about Black History Month and you talk about the institution of slavery, everybody looks at you and they're like, well, we're past that. Like, why are we still talking about this? This is ancient history, as if this country is old enough to have ancient history, right? And so you feel this sort of defensiveness to be like, how do you show that like the repercussions of what transpired in the past are still reverberating in the present? And then you see documentation of your ancestors listed as, as um, property, you know, listed as, for, there was a bank, the guy wanted to, The excuse me, I'm being very ineloquent in this particular moment, the slave owner who owned my quadruple great-grandparents listed them as collateral because he wanted to extend his plantation and he needed them to list them for, wow. for a bank loan. And so you see them listed as property and you recognize that like it's not that long ago. You recognize that while other people could list your family as property so that it, it, they could expand their wealth their reach we had nothing it's a completely different starting point and it sort of just validated for me this level of defensiveness that i've always had to prove something i don't have to prove like i can see it and that so little black folks across the world have documentation of the oppression that has transpired to them as individuals and as a people it really just i don't know it, it made it real i knew it was real before, but I saw it. I had the ocular proof.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, is this, is this one of the reasons, well, not this particular story, but, 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 but the history of America, your history in America and the story that America tells, is this one of the reasons that you, you named your, your production company the way you did? Is it, is it why you chose to focus on certain stories and, and, and how to tell them using the platform of Hollywood?
2: So it's interesting. The, uh, the name of my production company is Indian Meadows, and it's named after the neighborhood that I grew up in in St. Louis, Missouri. And it's a predominantly African-American neighborhood that went through. It was Jewish, and then Black folks moved in, and the Jews didn't leave, but their kids grew up and went elsewhere. So I had old Mrs. Wiebelman living next door to me who was my <laughs> substitute teacher at Spady School. And she was just playing with all these little black kids who loved her as much as anybody, right? And so, so just a testimony of where I come from and who I wish to represent. Um, because as evidenced by the fact that we get to celebrate Kamala Harris being the vice-president, uh, the vice-presidential nominee along with Joe Biden, I'm very excited. Uh, My wife, by the way, I should say, is almost as excited as I am, but if you're familiar with Greek organizations in the United States, my wife is a Delta, and Kamala Harris is an AK. So there's A little bit of shade, but there's still, it's still a a reason to celebrate, right? Seeing yourself on screen validates your life. And so I wanna tell stories where people of color or marginalized groups are front and center. They're not necessarily the sidekick, or the goofy friend or whatnot, but the story is about them. Because when you see yourself, you know that your story is as important as anybody else's.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. If um, somebody's watching the Emmys this year, they will see you twice uh, nominated and hopefully twice winning. Sterling K. Brown, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
2: Thanks a lot, Trevor. I appreciate you,
0: brother. Thank you so much, Sterling. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I just wanted to let you know that there are a lot of groups out there right now who are working to protect and advance voting rights for the elections in November. One of them is the Alliance for Youth Organizing, which is a national network of local youth-led organizations mobilizing people to vote.